Now, I don't want to be too rebellious this morning, but I see I'm supposed to finish up at 12.04 and 47 seconds. I may go to 12.05. And if I do, I'll confess my sin right now. Okay? So, that's, excuse me? Oh, I can go longer. Well, did you hear that? I might go to 12.06. We're just glad to be back. You guys have been supporting us for 21 years. Uh, July 18th will be 21 years for us in Ukraine. And uh, our hope is to go back quick, uh, maybe in July, end of July, we'll see. You guys have helped us with projects in Asia. You helped us, uh, you raised, I think it was $17,000 for a, a truck for Pastor Daniel to use and money for his property for chickens and pigs and things like that. So thank you. We really appreciate all of that. Continue to pray for that part of the world. They're experiencing war as well. So this morning what I wanted to do, you know, is looking at the world and where it's headed and the church and all these different things, I just thought um, we'd look at the full armor of God. And that's going to be our text today. Because we're living in a day and age where things seem to be spiraling out of control pretty quickly. And as I look at that, you know, I like to, I think of Isaiah chapter 5, verses 20 through 23. And it's because we live in a day and age where things that even 15 years ago were considered sin, or at least mental illness, today are looked at as normal. And Isaiah wrote, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, substitute darkness for light and light for darkness, substitute bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter, are wise in their own eyes and clever in their own sight, who are heroes in drinking wine and valiant men in mixing strong drink, who justify the wicked for a bribe and take away the rights of the ones who are in the right. And we do live in that time period. We live in a time period where people do consider things that are evil as good and things that are good as evil. You know, one of the things that I notice, you know, is how people are becoming experts in twisting truth. I mean, I'll hear things that I just sit there and my mouth almost drops open because I go, how did they ever come up with that? And the only thing that makes sense is we're going to learn in our text, as we already know, right, that our struggle is not against flesh and blood. And Satan is the, the key deceiver. And I was teaching in Uganda on the topic of uh, angelology at one point, when we were there not too long ago. And as I was teaching about Satan, and I was teaching the fact that he is a liar, he is void of truth, he's a deceiver. I could only think of one, one man from this big country in Eastern Europe kept coming to mind. Vladimir Putin. And I just, I would think of him, and I would just think, you know, he is, he is Satan's disciple. And we're going to talk about a little bit about Ukraine as I go through this, but you know, you just sit and you look at the world and where it's headed, and it's just going in a downhill spiral. People love the darkness, and they don't want to come to the light. Now, one of the things that the church needs to do when it's living in such a decaying world is we need to put on the full armor of God, our topic today. The Word of God needs to be key in our lives. 
We need to have fellowship with and serving Christ. Our church needs to be of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. We need to be growing in faith, in hope, in love. The three markers that Paul used to show, is a church healthy or not? Are we a church of faith, hope, and love? And are we growing in the grace and knowledge of Christ? All of these things are of such, such importance. So, we need to be prepared, be prepared for what's lying ahead. Because as we look at where things are headed, I can only imagine it's going to get worse. And we need to have on the full armor of God. So if you would, turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6, and we'll begin in verse 10. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. Now, as Paul begins this, he says in verse 10, Finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Now, this is a strength which we cannot muster. It's not our strength. It's God's strength. And Paul, as he was talking to the Corinthians and 2 Corinthians about his own weakness, he wrote this. He said, he was talking about Jesus, and he, and he, Jesus, has said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Now, that's sort of a strange thought in our day and age. But as a result of what he said, Paul then wrote, Most gladly, therefore, I, would, I will rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And so how do we become strong? It's through the power of Christ. Again, it's not through our own power. And one of the big things is just simply humbling ourselves before God and just saying, you know, is there sin I need to confess? And confessing that sin. Acknowledging our weaknesses. Acknowledging, look, I can't do this in my own strength. I need your empowerment. Are we living obediently according to his word? And requesting, Father, fill me with your Holy Spirit. Fill me with your grace so that I can go forward and make an impact for you. And I think sometimes when we think of the Christian life, we, I think we make things difficult. It's simply just humbling ourselves before a powerful God and just saying, Father, use me for your honor and glory. So, we're to be strong in the Lord in the strength of his might. Then, verse 11, he says, Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. So, he exhorts them to put on, in other words, clothe yourselves with the full armor of God. This is what's necessary if we are going to stand strong against Satan, his schemes, his deceptions, his attacks. And it's, it's all around us. You know, you just look at the world. One of the things that we notice coming back to America is the focus here on alcohol. And, you know, in the passage, he said they become heroes in mixing wine and valiant men in mixing strong drink. And we just see such a focus on alcohol now. And even I think of marijuana going on, you know, being legalized. We're driving into Michigan, and Annette said, look at the billboard, big billboard, picture of marijuana leaves, and it said, Michigan's new state plant. And if you look at reputable websites, you know what they'll say? They'll talk about how bad it is for your brain, especially for teenagers and babies in the womb. 
yet it's legalized now. And it's just crazy where things, <clears throat> excuse me, are headed. So we need to be prepared so when the, the deception comes our way, we are able to stand firm in Christ. And Paul's going to talk here about how we can do that. Then he goes on and he says in verse 12, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Now, ultimately, our, our <clears throat> struggle is not against people. Yes, we have struggles with people, but ultimately, it's the one behind the people. It's the one, it's the one that are pulling the strings. And that's Satan and his demonic forces. And that's who we're struggling with. Now, how does he do that? Maybe through direct interaction with us through, you know, and, and people through the demonic forces, or through the world system in which we are a part of. Ukraine, what a lot of people don't know about Ukraine is this. Ukraine in Europe, if you consider Ukraine a part of Europe, and even West, even, even if you don't, even you're looking at Eurasia, the former Soviet Union, and you look at Europe, Western Europe, Ukraine is the most prolific trainer of church leaders and missionaries. And as I was saying in Sunday school, we've been invited to three different countries by who? Ukrainians invited us to come and teach. Papua New Guinea, Poland, and Uganda. It's because of Ukrainians. Because they've been trained and they've been sent out. And Satan does not want Ukraine making an impact. And I believe as we look at this whole thing, attack Ukraine, Satan calls his, his disciple, Vladimir Putin, he says, attack Ukraine. And he says, yes, I'll do that. I want to do that. And he goes, and the, the, Wheaton, the Wheaton of Ukraine was a city called Irpin, and that's where a lot of damage was done. And ministries, CEF is there, Slavic Gospel Association, um, your, uh, Ministry Eurasia, uh, European Bible Seminary, which they shot 30 shelves at. And when it started on fire, they went in and brought out the Gospels of John and they burned them. And people, I think up to 100 people were being housed at the seminary. So our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against Satan and his demonic forces. Now, as we continue, verse 13, Therefore, he says, take up the full armor of God, so that you will be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. Now in verse 11 he said, put on the full armor of God. In other words, clothe yourself. Here he's taken a little different. He says, therefore, take up. In other words, the idea there is to pick it up and to take it with you. Pick up the full armor, armor, armor of God and take it with you. And when we do that, when we're clothed, when we're picking it up, we're taking it, we'll be able to stand firm against the devil's schemes and we'll resist him in the evil day, or in other words, the day of our struggle. And whenever we face him, we need to have the full armor of God on so that we can make an impact. Now, in the next, <clears throat> excuse me, verses 14 through 17, ah, I got water. 14 through 17, he is going to be talking about two triads of armor, which we're going to look at. Now, he says when he starts off here in verse 13, he says, or I'm sorry, verse 14, he says, stand firm, therefore. Stand firm. He's telling the Ephesians, stand firm. 
Therefore, having, very important word, having, and then he gives us three things here. He says, having girded our loins with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shot our feet with the gospel of peace. Now these first three are what I call positional armor. These are three aspects of the armor that were given to us at salvation. Why do I say that? Because he says here in the text, therefore, having. You've already done this. And as he talks about that, he, he's talking about a one-time action that has already occurred sometime in the past. And what makes sense is that he's talking about that having taken place at salvation. And these three, these three things happen to us, and that's why they are positional. And they, what they did is they placed us, when they happened, firmly in Christ. He pla- it placed us firmly on the winning side, the victorious side. And we will have, we are assured of, ultimate victory. Now, let's look at the first piece of the armor. Having girded your loins with truth. Now, what the Roman soldiers would do, is they'd take a leather belt and they'd wrap it around themselves, and that leather belt would hold things in place. It would hold their clothing in place so as they fought, it would not hinder them. It would hold their breastplate in place, generally made of bronze, and it would hold it there so that internal organs and things could not be hurt, and also as a place to hang their sword. Now, we as Christians, we are to gird our lives with truth. And it's interesting when you think about gird, right? The word gird. The idea of that word is to surround yourself with, to be encircled with, to be prepared with. And what he's telling them is that they need to take truth and put it around, gird themselves with it. And truth is so important to every aspect of the armor. As I said, you know, it, it, that, that girding idea takes... it. it is it affects, not affects, but it holds everything together. And that's why truth is so important. Now, how is truth positional for us? Well, one thing is when we believed, we believed in truth. But also what happened is we accepted God's truth and we entered into a new reality. And so we entered into a reality of his truth. And we were transferred from living according to Satan's philosophies and empty deception into a new reality of God's truth, his reality. Colossians 1.13 says, for, I, for he rescued us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Now, John 17.17 17 says, Jesus said to God, your word is truth. And then in John 8, 31 and 32, it says, Jesus therefore was saying to those Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word, then you, will truly, then, then you are truly disciples of mine, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. See, what truth does is it gives us freedom. When we know the truth and we know what to do, we we have this freedom to go out and to live for Christ. And the idea here of this word is that it, over time, truth will mature us. And the more that we grow in, in truth, the more we grow, we will grow in freedom. And the more that we can have a greater freedom to live and to serve Christ, growing in sanctification, growing in holiness. So that's what truth does for us. 
That in comparison to those who are enslaved to sin. They are enslaved, and we are not enslaved. We have freedom due to the truth and that which we entered into when we were saved. So, growth, maturity will help us have more freedom. Now he goes on here to the next piece of the armor, and he says, Having girded your loins with truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Now the breastplate, as I said, was made of bronze for the Roman soldier, and it protected their, their internal organs, you know, the heart, the lungs, the bowels, all those different things from fatal injury. Our breastplate is made of righteousness. Again, as I said, it's something that we obtained at salvation. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. When we accepted Christ as Savior, excuse me, at that time we became the righteousness of God in Christ. In other words, the righteousness of Christ was imputed to us. What does that mean? Simply this, that when we were saved, our sins were forgiven, past, present, future. It's as it's, it's if there's a book with our name on it. And before Christ, we open it up and it's just filled every page all the way to the end. Sin, 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 sin. But the moment we accept Christ, we open that book and it's blank. It's blank from the first page to the last page because the righteousness of Jesus Christ, because he was righteous, he died for our sins, according to the scriptures, rose again, our book is erased. And his righteousness now becomes our righteousness. God looks at us today, if you're born again, as being without sin. And that's our breastplate. We have that. We receive that at salvation. Now, um, the breastplate, as I said, keeps us from fatal wounds. And because we have the breastplate of righteousness, we, are, we cannot die spiritually. We cannot be spiritually lost. We cannot be condemned by God because we have that breastplate in place. Now, next. <clears throat> the next piece of positional armor, verse 15, in having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Now, the Roman sandals were made with, you know, little metal spikes, gave them good traction, and, you know, they could stand strong, hold their ground. Now, ours, it, our feet are shod or bound with, depending on your version, it may say preparation or readiness of the gospel of peace. I think the better word there is the word that was used in the translation of the Septuagint, the Greek version of the Old Testament scriptures, and they translated as foundation. Believers were shot or bound with the foundation of the gospel, which gives peace. So some people teach this as, well, it's evangelism, but I, I don't believe that's what it's saying, because he's talking here about those things that have happened to us. We stand strong. Our feet are bound. We're standing upon the foundation of the gospel of peace. Romans 5.1 says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So, because of the gospel, we have peace. That's why it's the gospel of peace, with God. 
And as a result of our salvation, we entered into a peace with God and we were declared just. We will not face wrath and his condemnation. We are always in a position of peace, eternally secure, because we are in Christ. We can stand firm in the battle. 1 Corinthians 15, 1 and 2, Paul was talking about the gospel to the Corinthians, the gospel he brought to them, and he says, Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, in which also you stand by which also you are saved, if you hold fast to the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. So because of this piece of armor, we can stand strong in our faith. It's the gospel of peace. We have peace with God, and that in itself should make a great impact as we live for Christ. So these are three aspects of position, our positional armor. They're always in place. That's truth, righteousness, and peace with God. Therefore, we're secure with God, we've been prepared for the battle, we've been prepared for victory, and we do not have to fear. Okay? First triad. We're going to keep moving right along here for the second triad, which we see in verses 16 and 17. Now here he says, in addition to all. Okay, so we have our positional armor. In, in addition to all, taking up. We're supposed to take up, or the, other word, the idea of that word is to pick up and take it with us. And we have three aspects of the armor we're supposed to intentionally pick up and use. <clears throat> the first is the shield of faith, the second is the helmet of salvation, and the third is the sword of the Spirit. Now, the shield of faith. The shield of faith was a special piece of armor that was made in such a way that when fiery darts came into it, it would distinguish the fiery arrows. And for the believer, as Satan shoots things at us, as he tries to get us off balance, he tries to take us the wrong way, our, excuse me, our faith is supposed to have us be strong. It was also used for uh, battle, you know, close battle. They could use it to protect themselves. And as Satan comes against us, we should be able to hold up our shield of faith and be able to stand against Satan. Now, as he says, take up the shield. The idea there, it's a single action, and it's a process that's completed over time our lifetime. When we pick up that shield of faith as a believer, the idea here is we're to pick it up and never put it down. We're so always supposed to be living by faith and believing our, our faith. You know, we're to walk by faith and not by sight. Scripture tells us, 2 Corinthians 5, 7, and Hebrews 11, 6 tells us that, and without faith it is impossible to please him. Right? It's impossible to please God without faith. We need to have that faith out there. We need to be living according to faith. And it's so important. Now, as I said, it's a shield that protects us. 1, Corinthians, or 1 Peter 5, 8, and 9. Be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary the devil prowls about like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. But then what does it say? But resist him firm in the faith. And so as Satan comes against us, faith is crucial. James 4, 7, how can we put that faith into action? Submit therefore to God, right? Submit therefore to God. That's showing faith. We're going to God. We're running to him. He's our refuge and our strength. Submit therefore to God. Resist the devil, obeying, believing God, not following Satan, his philosophies, not doing what he, he desires us to do. Submit therefore to God. And what? He will flee from you. 
So faith is of so, so important, believing God and doing what we're supposed to do, believing, having faith. Now he goes on and he says in verse 16, taking up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one. Then he says, take the helmet of salvation. Now, the Roman soldier, of course, had a helmet uh, for their head, and helmets were important to protect it. The Christian, we're supposed to put on the helmet of salvation. Now, what is the helmet of salvation? I think 1 Thessalonians 5.8 gives us a much better picture. It says, But since we are of the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. I think that really gives us a great picture there. It, it has to do with the hope which we look forward to, the hope of our salvation. Now, we'd say, but I'm saved now, yes, but we're not ultimately saved until death. And we look forward to that day when we will be ultimately saved. And when we have that assurance that we are saved, that one day we will experience salvation, complete, ultimate, then we can have a great confidence in the things that we do. Now, there is the word hope, and it's used in the scripture as, for instance, I hope tomorrow it does not rain. But that's not the idea of this word hope. The word hope here is talking, let me just read the scripture, which will give us clarity. Romans 8, 24 and 25. For in hope we have been saved. But hope that is seen is not hope. For who hope for, uh, let's see. But hope that is seen is not hope. For he for for who hopes for what for who hopes for what he already sees. But if we hope for what we do not see with perseverance, we wait eagerly for it. The idea of this kind of hope is I know this is going to happen. I know that I'm going to be saved. I'm assured, absolutely one hundred percent assured, but because I have not seen it, seen it, I hope. For it, I look forward to it with absolute assurance. So that's the idea of the word hope. So the helmet is the hope of our salvation that I know it's going to happen. I know I'm going to be saved. When I have that around my head, it's protected. Now, if you've ever experienced anything really negative, like a year ago, if you remember, it read our newsletters, I was told twice that I had a I had cancer, and you have cancer. No, you don't have cancer. You have cancer. You better get ready. Call your insurance company. Get ready to go back to the States. Find a hospital. It's in a very unusual spot. You need, you need, you know, it's going to be a special surgery. And you go, you have cancer? Huh? You don't have cancer? Ha. Huh. You have cancer? Oh, it's really bad cancer. Eh? And then you don't have cancer. Ha. Huh. Hope is so important. And you can be the greatest you can have all kinds of great abilities and talents and everything, but if you lack hope, you have a big problem. Hope gives stability. And that's why hope is so important. And that's why it's so important for churches to give hope to their people. In Ukraine, they need hope. In a lot of places, you know, we need hope. I don't know what you're going through today, but that helmet of salvation, the hope of salvation, is so important because it protects our thinking, and our mind. So it's the difference between victory and defeat. And that's why, according to 2 Corinthians 10.5, we need to take every thought captive to Christ. 
When that thought comes into our mind that's negative, we need to stop it, we need to imprison it, we need to say, stop. I'm not going to think this way. This is sinful. We, we um, confess that, and then we move forward. And if 10 seconds later that thought comes back in, we stop, we take that thought captive, we confess it, and we go on. And we keep doing it until that thought leaves our mind. You know, we, we keep it from running amok inside of our head. That's why hope is so important. And when you have the hope of salvation, and you know you're saved, and you know when you die you're going you're gonna to go to heaven, guess what? There's about nothing you won't be willing to do. You will, you will be willing to die for the faith because it doesn't matter. You're going to go home. You're going to go to heaven. You're going to be with Christ. And that's why that helmet of salvation is so important. It gives us that stability. And that we have that hope. The last piece of the volitional armor which we pick up is in verse the, in 17 as well. And the sword of the Spirit, take up, take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Again, take it up. Pick it up immediately is the idea of, of the helmet and this word. Pick it up immediately. Take it up. Do not put it back down. And it's talking here about the sword. Now, there's different kinds of swords. From what I understand, my, my relatives in Germany were knights, and they would have these swords. I've seen them. Um, they're, about, uh, six, they're about as tall as them. And I, from what I understand, they carried them on their back, and when they needed them, they pulled it out. And imagine how heavy that thing was. Imagine how they had to use that sword and everything else. That's, that was used for offense. That's not what this is talking about. It's talking about a short 18-inch sword that was double-sided, double-edged, and they could pull it out for close combat. Nowhere in Scripture does it tell us to attack Satan. Actually, the opposite is there. Michael the archangel would not rebuke Satan. He said, let the Lord rebuke you. We've got all kinds of people going out and thinking they're attacking Satan and they're casting out demons and they're doing all these different things. We are never to attack Satan. We're supposed to respect Satan. We're supposed to respect his position. You look at uh, 2 Peter, I believe it's chapter 3, chapter 2 or 3. You look at that, we are to respect him. We're supposed to respect his abilities and his, you know, and his position that God had given him. And we are to you know, we are to be, we lost my thought, sorry about that. Um, we are to use the word of God for defense. When Jesus was in the, was in the, was in the desert for uh, 40 days and 40 nights and Satan came, what did Jesus do? He used the word of God. That's how important the word of God is to the things that we you know, when we are attacked by Satan. It's not us going after him. So, um, we need to know how to use our sword. We need to understand it. We need to study it. We need to practice with it. We need to be able to use the sword. I can't imagine going into battle and not knowing how to use your, your artillery. So, that was the last piece of the two triads. Now, Satan wants to come against us. He wants to lead us astray, and that's another reason the Word of God is so important to our lives, why we should be in the Word of God every day, why we should be reminding ourselves what it says, because Satan will come and try to deceive us. He'll try to take us astray and everything else. 
And only the Word of God is going to keep our thinking right so that we're not led astray. We have churches today that are sitting there and they're leaning towards, you know, maybe homosexuality really isn't so bad. You know, maybe it's some people, they're just loving each other. Now, what Scripture says is it. And you see the church, and through history, the church has slowly been moving, slowly moves along with culture. We are to understand our culture. We are to use our culture, but we are not to let the culture impact the church. But we are to impact culture. We're not to let the fads and the deception and the evil and all the things that are going on in the world today and say, well, that's just the world, way the world's headed. We're going to go with it. No. That's why the sword of the Spirit is so important. Now, we looked at the positional aspects. We're to gird ourselves. We were girded at salvation with truth. We put on righteousness. We were shot with the gospel of peace. And we're also to take up and never put down the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit. Now, as Paul finishes, as he goes on here in verses 18 through 20, he's going to talk about prayer. And what he's going to talk about is praying in the, we need to pray in the Spirit, we need to pray for all the saints, and we need to pray for the gospel message to be propagated. And so, he says in the first part of verse 18, with all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit. So we need to, you know, not be praying in our own strength. What do we need to be praying? Well, we, when we pray, we need to be desiring to glorify God. We need to have proper motivation. We need to have reliance on the Holy Spirit. We need to make sure that we're not grieving or quenching the Holy Spirit. And then we sh- at that point, we will be praying in the Spirit with the strength of the Spirit. Next, we're to pray, he goes on here, And he says, and with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. Okay? So, I love this verse. Look at this. When praying for the saints, we are to be on the alert. In other words, we're supposed to be watchful concerning the needs of others. We were at uh, Flushing last week at a church with a group and I was telling him some of the things that you don't normally hear on the news about what's going on in Ukraine, terrible things, and one woman just stopped. She said, we must pray for them now. That's the idea. We need to be on the alert. We see something going on with other believers. We don't say, you know, tomorrow morning, I'll, yeah, let, we'll pray about that tomorrow morning. Or we'll, we need to be on the alert. We need to be praying. He says, being watchful. What are the needs of the believers? And immediately pray. We're to be ready to pray immediately, taking prayer seriously. And he's also saying here we're to pray with persistence or determination. God, this is what needs to happen. Now, why are we to pray this way? I've already quoted this before, 1 Peter 5, 8, 9. Be of sober spirit. And then he says, what? Be on the alert. Be on the alert. Why? Your adversary, the devil, prowls around seeking someone to devour, but resist him firm in the faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. Father, as our brothers and sisters in Ukraine are experiencing this, we need, you know, we, we pray for them. We want you to help them. We want you to intercede. We want you to act on their behalf. And we take prayer seriously. And then he says in verses 19 and 20, and pray on my behalf that utterances may be given to me in the opening of my mouth. So Paul's saying, look, pray 
that when I go out and preach the gospel, that I will say the right words, that God will give me the right words to say, to make known with boldness that when I speak, he says, the mysteries of the gospel, when I speak the mysteries of the gospel, I will make them known boldly. And then he says, for which I am an ambassador in change, that in proclaiming it, I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. And so we're to be you know, praying, Father, help this person, help pastor, help the elders, help the people in the church, help me to go out and to have opportunity and to speak the word with the right, to say the, thing, the right things to them. Colossians 3, verses 2 through 6 talk about this. Paul says that my speech would be seasoned, as it were, with salt, so that I can preach the word and say exactly what they need, not force-feeding people a big meal if they don't want it, so they vomit the gospel the next time, vomit the gospel the next time they hear it, but giving them exactly what they need to hear, seasoned and just seasoned with grace in such a special way that they will want more, and they will want to come back. So, we need, as... Jesus said in Matthew 9, 38, Therefore beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. These are important aspects. We have the full armor of God, three positional, three volitional. We have prayer. And we're supposed to bring those together and make an impact. I think my 47 seconds are coming up here shortly. Okay. I think I have a minute and 47. No, we'll see. Okay, so... We need to realize we're in a spiritual battle. Do we? I don't think we do. I don't, sit there, I don't think that we sit there and think, I'm in a spiritual battle today. I don't think we really take it seriously. You know, how serious do we take these things? Times are going to get worse. I think that, you know, Scripture talks to us about this. In the last days, da-da-da-da, men will be lovers of self, lover of mind, da-da-da, Right? Things are going to get worse. How do we want to let the future impact our lives? If we want to have a good walk, if we want to have a firm and stable walk, we need to make sure that the armor is in place, we're using it, and we're praying for each other. I want to pray for Ukraine as I end. As I said, I believe that a big part of what's going on over there is spiritual. Um, Ukraine is doing, has been doing a lot, and hopefully it'll continue to do a lot. There's a lot of great seminaries there, a lot of great things going on there. So let's just close in prayer. Father, I just come before you on behalf of Ukraine. I just pray, Father, that you would give great wisdom to President Zelensky and those around him, to his generals, commanders, all the way down to the least of the soldiers. Father, I just pray that you would uh, thwart the plans of Russia, that Putin, Vladimir Putin, and those around him would lack wisdom, that you would just keep them from uh, doing evil throughout Ukraine. Father, we pray for the believers there, that they would have a great impact through the church in the lives of many uh, believers and unbelievers, and give them the strength and the courage they need, that the gospel will be spread throughout Ukraine and throughout Europe. And Father, that the uh, church will work in, bless its work in 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 these very, very difficult times. And Father, I pray for the chaplains, that you would use them to encourage the, the troops and that many of them would come to faith in Christ and that Russian soldiers who are believers would do the right thing and stop killing people that should not be killed. That 
Father, I just pray that you would just impact their lives and they would understand and see what they're doing. We pray for the, for the salvation of Vladimir Putin and for those around him. And Father, for soldiers and for all these people, Father, they need Christ and that he would do the right thing. And Father, for the Belarusian army, we pray that they do not enter this conflict and they do not attack Ukraine. And Father, we just pray for an end to the war. Father, for each person here, help us to walk and have the full armor of God in place and help us take prayer more seriously. And Father, we commit these things to you in Christ's name. Thank you so much, Randy and Annette. Again, they'll be at the table out in the foyer after the service for you to visit with them, to ask more questions, and to just wish them well. Hopefully you'll keep them in uh, your prayers. Would you please stand as we close our service? Again, our Heavenly Father, we uh, need to put on the full armor of God. And Lord, we recognize that we need your help to do that by your grace that we would take it up, that we would put it on, that we would stand firm, and that we would never, ever set the Word of God down for any reason. And we might do battle for you. So now unto him who is able to keep you even from stumbling, and present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forevermore. And all God's people said, amen. Thank you so much for coming. Have a fantastic week.